you wouldn't even need lawyers. We plan for worst case. We try to limit risk and exposure. And one of the things I need to focus on is, you know, don't get discouraged when things go go wrong. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got Jeff Love with me today. Jeff, how are things out in L.A.? I'm doing good. It's uh, nice and sunny today, so thanks for having me on. I thought it was always sunny in Southern California. Not, not by the beach. I'm in Redondo Beach, a little south of LAX, and you know you get that marine fog layer until about July or August. So today we have the nice sunny beach weather, so I'm excited. Well, I bet that's exciting, especially to bring in, we're getting close to summer now, so this is good. So do me a favor and tell the listeners how they can get in contact with you. You can reach me by email. It's jlove, L-O-V-E, at gibbsgiddon.com, or feel free to check out my firm's website, www.gibbsgiddon.com. Beautiful. So now that we've got the important stuff out the way, do me a favor and let's talk about what you've been working on and what your current focus is. So I'm a transactional attorney by trade. I chair my law firm's business law and real estate law departments. So we handle a ton of deal flow with a really big emphasis on passive cash flow, helping developers, investors really negotiate, negotiate deals. So we take it everywhere from acquisition to disposition in between sometimes jokingly refer to myself as a dirt lawyer, not because I'm in LA and get to deal with fun Hollywood gossip and stuff, but we touch everything that deals with dirt. Uh, and a lot of that's syndications. It might be leasing. It might be looking at purchase and sale agreements and really helping with the problems that my clients run into when tackling these parts of a real estate deal. Got it. So I guess you're getting some pretty complex transactions. This is going to be juicy, I think. So Give me some of the LA dirt. Have you had any clients come in or have you done any deals where things just didn't go as planned? We get a lot of them. And the, the nice thing about our practice is we don't just represent your big developers. We represent kind of mom and pop clients as well. The one client I kind of want to focus without naming them is we're a couple younger gentlemen graduated from a real estate program and decided, you know, go out and become developers, wanted to raise money from investors and really tackle their first flip, not in their traditional sense of a single family home, you might think, but they were gonna tear down an old duplex um, and create three townhomes. And they ran into really every problem that you could probably run into on the project and hit those missteps. But the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel and why I think it's such a good story is they learn from all those mistakes and they just took down you know, a 50 unit apartment building and gonna turn it into about a hundred co-living units. So they learned from what they did wrong and now they're heading out of the park. So lack of experience always leads to a misstep. It happens every time, right? It's kind of school of hard knocks and that's the, 
spirit of this conversation that we're having is, hey, you don't have to make the mistake. Listen to this podcast and we're going to tell you where all the bodies are buried. So they came out of school. You said they didn't do a few things wrong, but they've turned it around and they've survived. Um, you know, some of these things, though, can land you in jail and you don't get to survive. And so there was, can we dig a little bit on that? Like, what didn't they do, like, in detail? Like, what what didn't they do or what should they have done differently? So this one, I think the meat of what they didn't do is they, you hear a lot about you know, syndications when you're raising money from passive investors. And what they had done, it wasn't a big deal. So they raised money from three different individuals to get the equity that they needed to be able to acquire the debt and actually do the project. And one of the big things that these guys didn't do is they didn't understand the disclosures that you really have to make to be in compliance. Because when you typically think of a syndication, you might think I'm going to raise money from, you know, 10 people. When you think I'm only raising money from, you know, one guy or two guys, do I really have to comply with everything? But the law is really clear. If you're raising money from any individual and they're not actively participating in the project, you have a passive investor, you're selling a security in that LLC, that entity. So you have to comply with it all. And these guys, they didn't do that. They had a really short PPM and they had the documents. And I, I should disclaim this, this was all done before I got involved. So I got to play cleanup when it came to my desk. But the biggest thing they didn't do is they didn't disclose to their investors. And the, 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 if I can, you can take one thing away from, from this podcast, the most important thing is disclose everything to your investors. And there's a reason behind that. It's not that we want to, you know, you know, they don't trust us. We have to give them some all this information, but you want your investors to understand the deal as much as you do. The problem arises when you have an investor that didn't understand the deal, that didn't understand the risks of what they're getting into and just saw that massive preferred return or that 30% upside in their money that you were promising them, but didn't understand that there's risks involved with that money. So the first misstep they did here is they didn't disclose their development fee. And in this deal, there was a preferred return and profit was gonna be split, but they didn't disclose that they were taking an upfront fee for actually managing the project. Now, it was buried in their pro forma they gave to their investors, but that's something you wanna highlight and put in big font. And so everyone sees it, I'm taking this much money for running the project, have the investor sign off on it, put it in your PPM, put it in your operating agreement, because it's not a pretty sight when an investor sees you took this big upfront fee and the project wasn't profitable that's when someone gets irritated and upset and you could have avoided that by putting that in big capital letters. I'm taking this fee and you're okay with that. If you're going to sign on to be an investor in my project. So you feel like there's a separate form that just has fees that are being charged for managing the project and doing that is one of the most important ways to disclose what's happened. It doesn't even have to be a separate form, but don't, you don't want to bury the information. If, if the investor gets scared off by your fees, which you rightfully should take for spending your time on the project, they're not the right investor. You know, you, you go find another one because at the end of the day, it's those investors that have problems with your fees or don't you, they don't trust you completely, or you want to nickel and dime you. 
that they're going to give you problems later on. You want the ones that are saying, sure, you know, take your fee. You're going to make me so much money that I, I'm, I'm happy you're doing that. But just put it somewhere that they can see. You know, if it's in your operating agreement, put it in there. But don't bury it in a pro forma that's the end of a you know 100 page operating agreement, which I've seen other people do. The point of disclosing it is to, for the investor to actually see it and understand it and be okay with it. Okay. And so is that where you see a ton of investors have heartburn or are there other places where, you know, being very transparent is best in order to avoid headaches with investors? I think that was one of, that was one of the areas I've seen because as you know, you know, when you're doing a syndication or passive investment, there are many different fees that investors are comfortable with. And yet you as the sponsor, you want to charge. There might be an acquisition fee. You might be having me asset management fee. You may be managing construction. So whatever those fees are, you just want to disclose them. And I think that's a big area is making sure that you have that transparency. But at the same time, you, you, you want to disclose the other risks to your investors. So if you're doing, you know, let's call it a PPM or even your pitch deck, when you're telling your investor about this deal, you want to disclose things to them. Do you have other similar deals that are going on on the same street where you might be having another fix and flip? You want to make sure you're not breaching any type of fiduciary duties to your investor. And they think that your other project that they're not involved in is now competing with the project that they are involved in. And I've seen some, you know, some big issues there where a disgruntled investor didn't get the return that they were promised. And they thought it was because the manager and the sponsor was actually competing. So if you're doing other projects, you might, that's another big area of disclosure and just disclosing the other risks. You know, if you created a new company for this venture, say it's a new company, it doesn't have that financial background. If there's an environmental risk, it might not be a big one, but maybe down this, maybe down the block from your fix and flip, maybe there's a gas station or a dry cleaners and you don't know, and rightfully so, that there was underground contamination you want to disclose that to your investor. Everything you know, you want your investor to know in terms of disclaiming risks because it ultimately protects you. And if there's ever an issue later on, you point to that document, that deck, uh, and you say, you know, I'm sorry, but you, this was an equity investment and you understood the risks just like I did. Every project, I mean, you can't be great if we could all hit grand slams, but there are those occasional projects that you don't and you may learn from them but you want to protect yourself to make sure that you're able to move on to your next one. And you do that by sharing this information with your investors. People want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. So this is like really interesting for me because I've never done a PPM. Every deal that we've done so far has been a joint venture. The one thing that I never really understood from a timing standpoint is 
once you do the property condition assessment, is that part of the PPM or are you, when you uncover things in that assessment, like how do you make sure that they go into the diligence docs? Good point and a good question. I think there are things that you're not gonna know about and every deal doesn't have a PPM. If you're doing a pure joint venture and you're the operator and you have one money man, maybe you're not doing the PPM, but you wanna disclose to him what you know. And maybe there's a risk once you've done that assessment that you, you discover there is an environmental issue um, or there, there is a big issue with the construction or the foundation. At that time, you want to disclose it to your investor, whether it's just, you know, whether I wouldn't, maybe it's like a phone call, but you follow it up some way in writing so that if there's ever a, a big issue that arises out of it later on, you have that written proof that you can point back to and say, look, we, we discussed this issue. We were both on board and you knew about it as well. And we intended to go forward with the project with that understanding. Because another misstep, not to go off on a tangent, but you may have a really friendly, great relationship with your investor or even your partner. You have it, you have it be a phone call. And one side says that phone call never happened. The other side says it does. You hear the stories. And that's why you, you hear the jokes and you want it in writing, even a text message. If you have it in writing, you have that written proof and you want it to protect yourself. You know, there's just, there's too many issues that can go awry in a, in a project, especially if you're starting out, the more you can get in writing, the better off you are and the better you are able to protect yourself. The CYA ends up being a big deal if things go wrong, right? So you gotta, gotta, gotta make sure you've got the paper trail so that you can prove that you did things the right way. And I guess that's part of the reason why I'm so particular about my partners. <laughs> I feel like you gotta be able to work through stuff. And you know, by the time you start pulling up old emails and going back to contracts, something went really wrong, too, too far wrong, so. Um, and it's another great point. I mean, there, there's no substitute for trust. You got to trust the people you're working with. You got to like the people you're working with because when you don't, that's when problems can arise. If, even if you have a difference of opinion and I've seen, you know, this is another big issue, you know, especially in smaller partnerships, you may disagree, but you're able to work together and get it done. If you don't trust or like that person, and that's when you start getting into the you know, bigger disputes, the partnership level, which then affects the entire project. Without question, without question. Uh, Jeff, do you know of any process changes other than using you that those guys who didn't do the proper disclosures made in order to make sure that they didn't run into that situation? One of the big things, and you know, I always recommend using a professional, whether it's you know an attorney, an account, an insurance broker, because you never know what you don't know and those professionals can help. But when you can, sometimes you just can't, you know, maybe the budget doesn't allow for it. Maybe it's, it's a, a timing issue. What you want to do, you know, for these kind of missteps that we're talking about in terms of disclosures is however you have to do it, whether it's an email, whether it's again, a phone call followed by something written and just say, you know, these are the issues that I, you know, I, I think are inherent in our project. And just be careful the way you word things. You know, you don't need an attorney to tell you how to do it. But if you're talking about, you know, an investor and you're saying, you know, you're going to get a 30% return on this project, don't guarantee things, you know, because you don't know. It's risky. You know, we, you know, not to use lawyer speak, but we anticipate, we project. 
Uh, we don't guarantee, we don't promise, because those are the words that get you in trouble later on. Your investor comes back and says, hey, Derm, you, you pre-promised me a 30% return on this project. And you said, no, no, that, that's what we thought was gonna happen. Well, that one word can lead to a fight later on. So when you're writing these, just, just you know, take a high level approach and think about this. Put yourself in your investor's or partner's shoes and say, if I'm reading this, Am I reading it the same way that me and myself as the sponsor are reading it to make sure that you don't have the discrepancy? And you as the individual, you can prepare those disclosures. You just want to be, you know, very cognizant of the fact that you're disclosing everything and you're sharing information. And that's probably the key word here is you're, you're a team and you're sharing, you're not hiding things, you're sharing things because the more you share, the more you're actually protecting yourself. Well, it may not seem like that up front, you know, why do they need to know this information? I'm running this project, you know, they're just giving money and getting their return. Well, you're actually protecting yourself by doing that because then if anything goes wrong, both of you are wearing that hat because you both knew the information and they can never claim that they didn't, you know, you, you, you hit something and it works both ways. Putting on the investor's hat, I want to know that information. I don't want to blame the sponsor. I'm in here because I can get a better return than, you know, investing maybe in some Tesla stock or Apple. I don't want to, don't want to get out of the equity market and invest in real estate. So the more I know, the more I understand and I understand the project and how everything needs to go according to plan to get me that return that the sponsor anticipated or projected that I was going to get. Anticipations and projections. I love it. I love it. I think early on, a lot of people are scared to scare off investors, right? They've got a list of five people. And if they tell them all the things that could go wrong with the project, they get a little weary that those five people won't put any money in the deal. So sometimes uh, the filtering is not without uh, reproach for sure. So, you know, Jeff, the last question is, and you may have already done it, but I want to give you another opportunity. What words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? You know, I think the biggest one, especially why I love your podcast, because I have so many, and, I, and I've been in other ones, and we talk about everything that's, that's, that's pretty, and it's a sunny day, and everything goes according to plan. And that's great. But if, if, you know, if that happened all the time, you wouldn't even need lawyers. We plan for worst case. We try to limit risk and exposure. And one of the things I need to focus on is, you know, don't get discouraged when things go, go wrong. You know, things are going to happen. It, it's a fluid situation, especially with real estate, even more so when you're starting out. So you may have some missteps, but the, the important thing is to learn from those missteps. You know, that client I have said, they're knocking it out of the park now. And that's just one example. I've, I've got another one. You know, they started out, you know, doing a single family home here and there doing fix and flips. And they're still in that industry. But they have a hundred going on at a time now. And if I, if I thought back to their first documents, you know, they came to us, it was garbage. You know, I, I don't say it lightly. You know, they just, they would do, you know, they pay us to do some things and then they would have, you know, some insurance, but not enough. They did what they can afford, which at that time, at that time, that's all you can do. You know, you may not have the budget to do it, but it's learning from those missteps and you get better as you go on to that second deal or that third deal. And you say, okay, well, I didn't disclaim these things on my first deal and my investors got upset because we didn't make money. Let me make a better point on this second deal of making those disclosures 
I didn't have the budget on my first deal to make, you know, filings with the SEC or the state. And, you know, that really could have got me into trouble. And I should have done that. Let me, let me earmark that in my budget for my, my second deal. I had five investors on my first deal and I didn't want to scare them away. But on this deal, I think they understand it a little bit more. Let me disclose three of those risks. Let me take baby steps in terms of getting to where I need to be. And when you do that, you take a look in the, the rear view mirror, so to speak. It's like, wow, you know, my first couple of deals, how did I, how did I survive those? But look at me now, you know, now I'm rocking and rolling because I took those steps. I learned from my mistakes and now I'm not making those same mistakes again. And that's the piece of advice is you don't get discouraged, but learn from those mistakes so you don't make them again. Jeff, this was an awesome, awesome conversation, man. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing, you know, what's a touchy subject for a lot of people. I mean, you know, there's a ton of scrutiny around raising money and doing things the right way and actually being as transparent as possible. So, you know, bringing light to this is certainly something we haven't done so far. So I'm grateful for you sharing your wisdom with the audience. Uh, we'll talk soon, man. Sounds great. You made it to this juncture. So you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.